In a Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown is sitting at Lucy's psychiatric desk getting absolutely no help from Lucy. With a forlorn look on his face, Charlie laments, where do I go to give up? I don't know if you've ever felt that way or maybe even today uh, you feel that way. During Lent, we've discovered the Psalms help us to put into words what we find difficult to express. Most scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us at times. They help us to articulate and bring before God our deepest feelings, our greatest fears, our lingering longings in our hearts and in our minds and the troubled sorrows of our lives. And today we come to our final psalm as we wrap up our Lenten journey and head into Holy Week. And the psalm we're going to be looking at is Psalm 130. This psalm is known as a psalm of ascent. And these were songs that were sung by the Hebrew pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, or possibly when they were ascending Mount Zion to go and worship in the temple. Psalm 130 is also one of those penitent psalms in the Bible, which expresses sorrow sorrow for sin and asks God for forgiveness. And they have a special focus on faith. Charles Spurgeon said Psalm 130 certainly rise, rises rapidly out of the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance. Samuel Cox calls it a tiny gospel announcing truths in every age, to every age, and people need to know it. It's a, ca- a cry for help from, from people, maybe, who want to go and give up it's about waiting for the lord it's about salvation being lifted up and so we get to look at this magnificent psalm together corporately out of the depths i cry to you lord lord hear my voice Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman wait for the morning, more than a watchman wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. The first thing you notice about this psalm is there is a desperate cry from a very low and deep place, place of anguish. When buried in the deepest sea or down in a valley so low, when all you've put together begins to fall apart and when suspended in midair with nothing solid to hold on to people through the ages have cried out to the lord for help and i have done that too eugene peterson translates this first verse this way god help god 
the bottom has fallen out of my life. Isn't that a common cry? And I don't know if that's your cry this morning. The first thing that strikes you about this verse is the psalmist was no doubt a godly man. After all, the Spirit of God inspired him to write this psalm. And while he could be writing about his earliest experience of forgiveness when he had come to faith, or about a later time when maybe he fell in to a certain sin that carried him down into the depths that he's talking about. Today, I can't imagine that he was one of, one of what we would call a terrible sinner. And yet he viewed himself as being in the depths. And it reminds me of Jonah, who cried out to God from the belly of the whale after his disobedience to God's will and what God wanted him to do. You see, God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh and send them a message that they should come back to God. He hopped on a boat and went the opposite way. He went to Tarshish. God called Jonah east and Jonah went west. God called Jonah to preach and Jonah fell asleep on the bow of that boat. When sailors searched for someone responsible for the storm that carried out and tossed that boat, they found the lot fell on Jonah, that Hebrew on board who was running from the Lord. Dumped in the deep waters, then swallowed by a great fish, Jonah cries to the Lord, and he says very similar things to Psalm 130. In my great distress, I called to the Lord. He answered for me. From the depths of the grave, I cried for help, and you heard my cry. With currents swirling about him, seaweed wrapping him, feeling like he was in the clutches of death, even in rebellion, running away from God. God heard Jonah. In our rebellion, God does hear us. And we feel like we don't want to have anything to do with God. And when that leads us to a place of despair, God still hears you, my friends. We remember this psalm out of the depths. And those depths sometimes are depths that we create for ourselves or a hole that we've dug for ourselves. And so these depths represent here a time maybe of rock bottom where you realize that you cannot fix the things on your own that only a God and God's supernatural intervention can fix. Maybe you put yourself in a predicament and the waters have come up to your neck and you feel like you're sinking in the deepest depths of despair in the miry depths where there is no foothold. And then you come to your senses And recognize that your very life depends upon God. And my friends, that's what I want to speak to you today. There will be times in your life where this will happen. And as you grow older, it seems like those times become more and more prevalent. To become a person who is saved and their salvation is found in the Lord. Psalm 51 is one of those uh, penitent psalms as well. And it was in our Bible reading plan that we read this week together as the church. We find David is penitent. His heart is ripped apart by his own sin. And he was caught under a pile of wrongdoing. We remember it was the springtime in Jerusalem. And he's out walking on the, on the roof of his palace. 
when he was supposed to be out in war fighting with his men. And then he sees this beautiful woman that's bathing and he sends for her and he finds out her name is Bathsheba and she's the wife of Uriah, one of his generals that's fighting on the front lines. David's infatuated. He ends up sleeping with her. He uses his power to abuse. About a month later, she sends word to David that she is pregnant and David is in a pickle. David devises a big cover-up He has his general Joab send for Bathsheba's husband Uriah to come back to Jerusalem. Uriah updates David on the battles. And David says, go home. Go, wash your feet. This is a gift to you. David is sure that he will sleep with his wife and think that he is responsible for the pregnancy that Uriah is. But he underestimates Uriah. Uriah is an amazing officer loyal to his king. He's not going to sleep with his beautiful wife in the comfort of his bed while the troops are out in the field with their heads possibly laying in the mud. Instead, he sleeps at the entrance of the palace. David tries again. The next night, David invites Uriah to his house for dinner, and he gets him drunk. And David thinks, now he'll go home. He'll go home and sleep with his wife, and therefore will cover up. Uriah doesn't do that. He sleeps outside on a mat, so faithful to his king. And lastly, David sends a note to Joab, put Uriah in the most dangerous part of the fighting, for he will most certainly get killed. Joab follows the order, and Uriah is murdered. Bathsheba is devastated, and after her mourning passes, David sends for her, and he marries her. Adultery, murder, lies cover up and a pile of sin begins to come down on David he thinks he's gotten away from it, away with it but in the Psalms we read his penitent heart and Samuel writes that God won't allow him to get away with that with that sin what happened to David is universal the Bible affirms from Genesis to Revelation that we are bent to sin There's something in us that wants to do wrong. Idols capture our attention, take our focus on God and God's ways. And it can destroy our relationship with one another and mess with our relationship with God. You see, we can cry out to God in our sin. God doesn't want David to remain there. And God does not allow David's sin to pass by without correction. And God wants David to turn around and return to that man who loved God with all his his heart. God intervenes, and maybe you know the rest of the story. He sends Nathan, and Nathan tells David an illustration about how the rich king who had many, many sheep steals a lamb from a poor farmer and uses that lamb and slaughters it for his own supper. David's outraged at the cruelty and callousness of this rich man. How could you do such a terrible thing? And David passes this sentence upon himself. The man who did this must die. And David, Nathan hears, or David hears these words from Nathan, you are the man. Immediately, we see this cry out in sin from David. 
in his sin and despair, David shows us that we can cry out to God in our despair. Some people think that David wrote Psalm 130, but it was most likely Hezekiah. David did write Psalm 51, where he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. For I know my transgression is always before me. My sin is always before me. If you have ever felt like you betrayed God or stooped to the lowest of lows, or felt your life and your words were maybe too deep for tears, God hears your cry in the betrayals and in the rebellion. And it might be something that is active right now in the background of your life. But God doesn't want you to remain there. God wants you to cry out in those ugly depths. Oh Lord, oh Lord, hear my cry. When I was a sophomore in high school, my mom and dad separated. And eventually my mom took my brother Scott and I and moved into an apartment in that small downtown rising sun. Immediately I began making the wrong choices, started hanging out with the wrong people. There was one time I even, I was helping in a library and I was stealing money from the library's fines box to buy beer. <laughs> I remember one night in that spring, it was 1987, my brother was a senior, I was a sophomore, and we got into a fist fight, Scott and I did. Usually, Scott and I, we would hit each other just to get attention, but that night, we were going for blood. Outside, on the gravel, near my mom's car, we were going at it, and my mom broke us apart, and I just took off running. I ran through Rising Sun, and I eventually got to this small pine grove, and I was running. It was getting to be evening and dark, and I was running, and the branches, I remember the branches were smacking me on my face, and my face was bleeding from the fight. And I came out of those pine trees, and I found myself looking at a large church, the side of the church, with this cross that was bolted and lit up behind it. And I didn't know much about that cross but I, I thought it might be a microphone for God. And I remember falling on my knees and praying these words, God, please help me. Help my family. It was my first cry of utter despair about all these different things of my doing, my parents doing, and this the situation that I was in. I remember getting up and walking to my girlfriend's house. When I walked through the door, her mother saw me. She saw the blood. She saw the the stains and the tears on my face. And I told her, I said, I need to talk to someone. I didn't go to church at the time with her family, but within 15 minutes, I sat in Pastor Bill Helms' living room telling him everything, telling him about how I stole, telling him how I was getting drunk, told him about the fights and what my parents were going through. I shared all the pain in that desperation. I shared all of the sin and just put it out in that room. What did I find? Did I find condemnation from him? No. It was the first experience I had with a religious leader 
that simply hugged me, held me, and loved me. To make a long story short, what's really cool is with Bill's help, Pastor Bill's help, he began to counsel my parents. And within a few months, I stood next to my parents as they were remarried there in Rising Sun United Methodist Church. And my friends, you cannot tell me that God didn't answer that first heartfelt prayer of despair in my life. And I believe it. And I know it. God hears our cries in our despair and in our sin. He hears our petitions when we feel like we're swimming uh, with our horrible choices and excruciating circumstances that seem to be 10 feet above us as we're underneath them. But what do we find from this psalm? Do we find condemnation? No. Psalm 130 states, If you, Lord, kept a record of my sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. You see, this psalm tells us that with the Lord there is forgiveness. There's care. There's love. You see that word but in verse 4 is one of the greatest contrasts in Scripture. It makes a crucial declaration, but there is forgiveness with you. It's comparable to Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, where Paul, after telling how we're all dead in our sins, writes, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, in which we loved us when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. You see that? Dead in transgressions, but the love, God's unfailing love, and our hope in him, in our despair and our sin, were lifted up and made alive in Christ Jesus. You think about without forgiveness, we're doomed. But with it, the psalmist says, we learn to stand in reverence and serve the one who rescues us. And that's what our worship and our life is all about. That's the heart of the gospel. It's forgiveness. The psalmist is saying when you're overwhelmed in sin and despair and you stand before God and you feel convicted and condemned, well, you feel like there's a rope wrapped around your throat, your neck. God chooses to pardon you, to forgive you. And what do you do? The psalmist says you weep for joy. And you stand in reverence of him. And you hate the evil that you have been forgiven. And you live a life, a life of reverence to the Redeemer by whose blood you've been cleansed. You see, one of the primary missions of Jesus Christ, as we sang just earlier, is to break every chain, to redeem us, to set us free. Today, I don't know if you waved your palm branches I was waving them so hard over Salem, the leaves were flicking all over the place. We were partying over there. Hosanna. And you see, John 12, let's look at this together. John 12, 12 through uh, 13. It says, the next day a great crowd had come for the festival, heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took out palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is a strange word, isn't it? Hosanna. It's like a weird name, Hosanna. 
I thought it had to do with baking the first time I heard it. What in the world does Hosanna mean? My friends, Palm Sunday today, when we say Hosanna, it's a beautiful word. It's an old word. It's a Hebrew phrase that means, please save us now. It's a polite cry for help. These crowds were lining the streets of Jerusalem. They were shouting joyfully. They had heard Jesus' teachings. They had seen his miracles. And they clearly thought that he was the right man to take up the challenge to go against Rome and restore the throne of David. They were ready to welcome Jesus as this new political and religious leaders. And the Jewish people wanted to be saved. Saved immediately from their circumstances. From the oppressive power of Rome. From injustice. From the sting of being ruled by a pagan government. And the sting of religious leaders who were living unrighteous lives. They wanted to be saved from the sting of a lost identity and their defeat as a holy nation. And they were crying out in the depths of their circumstances for change. But Jesus had a completely different kind of saving. He was ushering in a complete age of what? Redemption. He came to save people from their sin. He came to save people from death. The Lord is full of redemption. Psalm 130, 7 through 8 says, it finishes with this writing, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Not partial redemption, full redemption. To be redeemed is to be regained, reclaimed, recouped, received once again to be redeemed is to be bought brought back bought back cashed in you know we redeem our air miles from our phone we redeem uh, maybe our chipotle points (laughs) we collect our the the points on our apps our warranties for something of value but we have to remember the deepest depths of the full redemption that we have in christ jesus redeemed i love to proclaim that I love to proclaim it and speak it to myself in my sin and despair. We have to remember that we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy and love. His child redeemed forever and ever and ever and ever. You see, Jesus told stories full of redemption. He told the story of the prodigal who came home and was not treated like a slave, but redeemed once again and made a son. We have to celebrate. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, I cry and you hear my cry and you lift me up and you redeem me. As we get ready for the Easter season, as Easter Sunday, we should be aware for our great need of forgiveness so that we can worship and be thankful and reverent to our gracious God who sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins that we deserve. Let this psalm be a reminder that no no matter how bad your situation, no matter how deep the pit and pain and anguish of torture or despair or exile that you feel, God hears you. We cry out to God who forgives us, delivers us, lifts us up by his 
unfailing love. And we need to be watchmen on the walls every morning for that because we see his new mercies daily. The promise of redemption has been made, by, made in flesh and blood by Jesus Christ. We know what God has done. And we're united with Jesus and know that we're not alone in this pressure cooker of life. We're united with Jesus and we know that as we wait with great anticipation, that final action of God to fully complete the promised salvation that we experience in our cries of anguish, despair, and sin. Let's go into Holy Week, remembering that he not only forgives us, but he has bought us back. He's done everything possible so that we can be not only forgiven, but saved and redeemed to the utmost. Folks, you are his forever. And this week, when we see on Monday, Thursday, gathering around his table, that whole new and holy covenant for the remission of sin, and then we come before the foot of the cross, and we see all that he's done through his mighty acts of giving his life for our redemption, we are lifted up into the higher reality of God's salvation. You know what? This is the hope we have together. God enables us to help one another bear our burdens to share our lives together, to proclaim together that God's love has rescued us out of the depths with unfailing love and hope. I don't know where you're at today. That's between you and God. But we're the body of Christ together. And you need to hear this message of redemption and that you can cry out in your despair and there's brothers and sisters in Christ right next to you in the ministry of this church to help you encounter the God that wants to lift you up out of the depths, the God who hears your cry and redeems and lifts you up into salvation. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, you save. You save to the utmost. You save completely. We thank you for this journey which we have walked through for the past several weeks where we have been able to pray these prayers of those who have gone before us, who are looking over our shoulders, who have experienced horrendous things. And we're able to put into words and deepen our prayer and expression to you. We thank you for this incredible journey. And we ask that you would hear our cry in our sin and in our despair. And Lord, that you would lift us up into that full redemption. Prepare our hearts to journey together in this holy week that we are walking into right now. And may we sit at your feet at the foot of the cross and see your mighty acts for our salvation forever and ever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.